nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hello, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And um, this is a a very special show. I do want to talk about my sponsors here first for just a minute. And um, the first sponsor is uh, with Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make you an active partner in your care in healing your mind body, spirit, and soul. Kim has a new book out called Transforming Healthcare, Healing You, Me, and Our Broken Disease Care System. For information, contact um, www.integrativemedicineforyou.com. That's integrative medicine written out. Four is a number. You is just the letter. And also check out the very popular Holly Blue Nurse Community app, which is for and about nurses www.hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. So today is, as I said, a very important day to me, especially because the topic is so very important to me. Um, we're calling this show the Heal- Healing the Mortal Moral Wounds of the Pandemic. And um, that is just really uh, a very important subject for me. I've been talking about this quite a bit in the last probably six months or so. And so I want to be able to get to that as quickly as possible here. So um, my guest today is Dr. Cinda Hilton Rushton, the Anne and George L. Bunting Professor of Clinical Ethics at the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics and the School of Nursing, and she also co-chairs the Johns Hopkins Hospitals Ethics Committee and Consultation Service. So, Dr. Rushton, I want to bring you in and um, just tell us uh, initially what brought you to nursing and a little bit about how you came to this moral resilience work that you're doing now. Well, thank you so much, Leanne, for having me be a part of this uh, transition for you uh, and to have the opportunity to talk about uh, some of the realities that our, uh, all of our colleagues are really uh, caring right now. Um, you know, it's an interesting question of how did I come to nursing? I, I honestly think sometimes uh, it wasn't that I chose nursing or maybe it chose <laughs> me. Um, I started uh, very young uh, with sort of this sense of purpose that um, uh, really persisted now now decades later but mm-hmm. I uh, I really felt that um, nursing was what I wanted to do I really never thought about doing anything else I started in high school as a nursing assistant and then You know, all through college, as I was uh, in my training, um, you know, working at the bedside, which for me has always been the grounding in everything else that I've done. And it was really through um, work in the pediatric ICU. I was, uh, that was my first 
job after uh, graduation and um, then became a clinical nurse specialist. And it, it was at the intersection of seeing the reality of uh, the burden and the benefits of our technology on children in particular, trying to help families make through, make really difficult decisions that seemed totally um, inconceivable, mm-hmm. and also to start to support staff. And so one thing led to another, and I decided to focus my doctoral work um, in that area of getting some additional education. And I've been doing clinical ethics consultation for more than 30 years. And it's really in that place uh, in the clinical world where the rubber hits the road. It's not a theoretical exercise. It is reality. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I have spent uh, a good bit of my career focusing on the suffering that clinicians carry. Uh, started really from my own experience as a pediatric ICU nurse and not having a word or name for what I was experiencing or any tools really to, um, to address those challenges. And so that's, that's been a pretty constant focus, uh, for me over these, um, many years in the profession. Um, I want to learn more also about how that kind of started. I'm kind of thinking you were probably at the very start of using the terms mm-hmm. or coming up with the terms. So we'll get to that well, in just a little bit. Or, or do you want to say something now about it? No, go right ahead. Uh, oh, I okay. think that um, uh, I was, uh, have been so, sort of, you know, when you look back on it, I was part of the first wave of nurses who got involved in, in bioethics. And, um, you know, the, the field has evolved so much um, since then, but there are still so many unanswered questions. So I think there's uh, plenty more for us to do and learn. I think that um, what we have talked about before, too, is that the... Um, trauma, the suffering that nurses are going through right now uh, with COVID, a year of COVID, um, is it's really not new. It's been around probably as long as there's been nurses. But this COVID year of this relentless, um, uh, continuous day after day after day, watching people die and not being able to help, you know, used, being used to be that person in the ICU, perhaps that could make a difference, could recognize things at just the right moment and make the difference and watch them walk away um, to their home and their family. And that's not been happening for a year. So tell me about what has been the impact of the pandemic for nurses around the world, but especially here in the United States. I think, uh, you know, there's many ways to answer that. I think the impact has been... um, First of all, I, I think we have to acknowledge the incredible uh, courage, the incredible perseverance, uh, the incredible skill that nurses have brought to these moments. Um, one thing I know about nursing is it's unlike other disciplines who can come and go in the context of providing patient care. Mm-hmm. Nurses are there 24-7. And often they're there for 12 hours at a time. 
And they're not in the position of turning away from Mm -hmm. what is in front of them, turning away from the suffering, turning away from um, the challenges. And yet nurses stay, you know, Mm -hmm. nurses show up over and over and over again, sometimes uh, despite their own risks, sometimes despite uh, the challenges that are present. Um, But it's, it's a, it's a phenomena in nursing that I think hasn't always been um, highlighted and in some cases taken for granted, uh, especially in organizations that staying mm-hmm. power of nurses um, is, is not an unending resource. And so when I think about the impact of, of COVID, it has affected people physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, and morally. And part of the moral impact has been that nurses have um, really been at the intersection of decisions that have been made largely by others Mm -hmm. uh, that include organizations, it includes other members of the clinical team, it includes patients and families that they are being asked to implement that may be contrary to their professional values as a nurse. And when that happens, uh, and nurses often uh, can identify what they think they ought to do, but because of constraints, mm-hmm. they can't do the right thing. And when that happens, um, many nurses experience various types of moral suffering, which um, is ref- really a reflection of um, a threat or violation of their integrity. You know, how do I see myself as a good nurse in this circumstance where neither one of the options is a good one? Mm-hmm. And how do I, how do I sort of remain whole? So there's, there's the moral distress, but then even more intense has been a concept that's developing now uh, that's been, often referred to in the military, of moral injury. Mm-hmm. And moral injury is a more intense sort of threat or violation of um, our values, uh, that we're actually doing something that's contrary to our moral uh, code of ethics. And often it is... Um, a a kind of transgression or or a violation of our values that leaves us in a place where it begins to erode our sense of moral identity and our sense of wholeness. And I'll tell you where I've seen this coming up is um, the the factors that um, often are associated with moral injury are because of betrayals of <laughs> leaders or organizations or government uh, where um, nurses are uh, asked to do things that are just fundamentally contrary to their values. Um, how we treat people uh, who come from disadvantaged circumstances, what we are <laughs> asked to do or not to do. And in those circumstances, what happens and what I've heard nurses say is I don't know who I am now. I don't mm-hmm. recognize myself. I don't know how to, to see myself as a, as a good nurse anymore. And I think what, what those 
two different um, types of suffering represent is is a real erosion of a sense of who I really am and my sense of wholeness as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so deep. <laughs> and you can say yeah. it in words, but when you realize the feeling of it, it's it's pretty um, pretty intense. And like you said, the courage and the wisdom of nurses to be able to keep coming back. I think the first time it really hit me as far as COVID was in April a year ago. And the first nurse told me that going to work, uh, let's see, how did she put it? Uh, going to work felt like, <clears throat> no, I can't even say it. It's right off the, it went right out of my brain. But um, they were talking about like going home feels like, um, murder so going to work mm. feels like you know you could you could die yourself um yeah and and it's just so uh, frightening and people say yeah but you're a nurse you you know this is your job i don't know any nurses who have taken a job in the united states anywhere that thought that they would die for their profession just doing their normal work and so no well, that that isn't something that I, nurses are aware of well, I, I, I would say in response to this is your job, is no one ever thought that they would be in the kind of uh, scarcity and the sustained mm-hmm. crisis that we've had this last year. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that prepared us for this. And so I, I think it's... Um, it's short-sighted to sort of suggest that um, we ought to just be able to manage this because, in my experience, um, nurses are incredibly resilient. I, I yes. don't think there's <laughs> a question about that. And so it's not a lack of resilience. It's, it's because the situation has uh, exceeded their resources to respond to it. And it is inevitable that that would happen because um, this situation is requiring more than anybody could possibly <laughs> be able to sustain and mm-hmm. much less have be asked to do that over the course of more than a year now. So, I think one of the first things is this is not because nurses are failing or because they are weak. No. It is because they're being asked to do things that exceed what any person could possibly do in a circumstance like this. Yeah. Cinda, um, could you talk about that a little more specifically? Like what are, I don't think that many people, even some people in healthcare, have any real idea about what it is that nurses are doing and what is being asked of them that's so difficult. Because we assume, you know, these are, are ethical organizations. They're huge. They, you know, have hopefully ethical leadership. But still, things are being asked and done that, that make the nurses feel like nobody has their back. And what are some of well, those I, things? What, what does it look well, like think, at the bedside? You know, I think that how it looks at the bedside, it depends upon 
uh, a lot of the culture and the resources that are available. Mm-hmm. But I think as we have looked at the trajectory of this pandemic, um, the volume of people who needed care mm-hmm. uh, exceeded our resources. There just weren't enough nurses to adequ- adequately provide the care that was needed in many, many instances. And sort of aside from that is how we provide care. I hear nurses struggling with, you know, I just feel like I'm a robot checking off boxes. Mm -hmm. I don't have the ability to provide the care that reflects the kind of nurse that I really am. And to me, that's a violation of my sense of professional integrity. Along with it, I'm worried I'm going to cause harm to somebody in the process, being redeployed to a new area where I don't feel confident, Mm -hmm. being asked to work beyond what our physical limitations are. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are examples of the kinds of situations that, that cause this inner conflict. It also comes up with how, how do we allocate our scarce resources? And it's not just uh, about numbers. It's about what do we prioritize? So in the midst of this pandemic, we have had a huge uprising of social injustice. It's mm-hmm. been there over, for centuries. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing it upfront and personal in the context of providing care for patients with COVID, large numbers of them reflecting people who are uh, black and brown communities who are there because they didn't have access to protection. They waited until they were very sick and now they are in our hospitals seeking care. And there's a sense of, uh, outrage uh, that goes along with that, which is an appropriate response to an injustice. However, that's all part of what nurses are also struggling with. They've struggled with adequate PPE. At one point, 43% of nurses reported by the American Nurses Association made their own PPE. Yes. So nurses said, I didn't even have the basic resources to do my job. Mm-hmm. And along with that, then many of them had to make hard choices about risk to themselves, risk to their families, and showing up for their job. And those are the kinds of things that nurses have not typically had to, de- to really address. You know, might I cause my family to get sick? Might I cause my patients to get sick because of my living environment. So I think, you know, there's many, many dimensions to this. Uh, the, the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't really know how to treat patients with COVID very well. I was with right. a group of nurses who had taken care of COVID patients over this year, and they were discussing how they felt guilty that at the mm-hmm. beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know how to treat patients. Mm-hmm. And some of them died as a result of it, not because anyone was complacent. It was because we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now we're on the other side of that and we're trying to ask the question, how far do we use our technology? How long do you keep a person 
uh, ventilated? And what are the signals that it's benefiting them? So there's so many dimensions of this ethical landscape that I think, you know, when you accumulate all of those, it becomes what, what I like to talk about is a, a real moral residue. Even when you've done the right thing, there are still values and commitments that are unmet. And being able to, to notice and to name that residue um, helps us to begin to, to examine it and then to ask some important questions about, you know, what part of this am I actually responsible for? Mm-hmm. We're not responsible for the pandemic. We're not responsible for the fact that there's scarcity of resources. We're not responsible that our patients have not been able to benefit from our treatments. We are responsible for how we use our skill, our talents, and our energy in service of the people that we're called to serve. But that must include acknowledging our own limitations because Mm -hmm. we do have limitations in those categories. As human beings, we do, of course. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that always amazes me about nurses is that part of the resilience they bring to their work is the innovations. You know, we have had obstacles put in our way, you know, way beyond and before probably even Florence Nightingale. But we've always figured out, okay, here's what I have. Here's what the problem is, and here's what I need. How can I make that happen despite not having the right the right things given to me by those people whose job it is to provide me with that? Um, would you say that is kind of the workarounds? Nurses always call them workarounds. Oh I gosh, guess I call them are... innovations. <laughs> if you want a problem solved, ask. A nurse is what exactly. I would say because, um, you know, workarounds, uh, we are uh, quite exquisite in creating them. Mm-hmm. The downside of our workarounds is that we have habitually made broken systems look like they're working when yes. they're not. So yeah. there's sort of the good news and bad news in that. Um, but I, I do think, you know, nurses are exquisite incredibly skilled at taking what is in front of them and doing mm-hmm. the best you can with what you have. And I think we, we don't pay enough attention to that aspect of our work. We sort of take it for granted. Oh, yeah, just doing my job. Yeah. Doing your job is an incredible contribution. It is complex. It requires so many different levels of skills, negotiating, managing many different interests, being able to communicate, being able to find a new way path forward. Um, And so I think one of the things that I'm hoping for in this pandemic is I feel like the pandemic has made visible the contributions that nurses make every single day. And it's bringing those uh, contributions out of the shadows into the light where they can actually be seen and honored 
and um, really taken stock of because without a healthy nursing workforce, our healthcare system is unsustainable. And so it's time for nurses and their contributions to to be honored and invested in um, so that we can create a healthcare system that's focused on healing rather than disease. Exactly. And it has to be um, acknowledged that truly the nurses are the professionals who best know patients and best know um, what kind of uh, treatment or what kind of care, what, what's the level of nursing expertise does this patient need? And I think that's one of the biggest frustrations for nurses is to have somebody who's not even a nurse telling them because of an algorithm, these are the number of nurses that you need. When the reality is a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. And we're getting to the point where many times you have new, brand new nurses who have fresh out of school. They have lots of book learning, but they don't have the clinical or the um, knowledge or the emotional skills that you get standing at a bedside 20, you know, 12 hours a day, every day of your your work life. Um, I think we have to start listening to nurses. Nurses have to be the ones who make those decisions of how many patients, what's their acuity, what are the nurses that I need to take care of this acuity of patients. I don't know what your thought is. Well, you make me think about uh, early in the pandemic, we launched a a project called the Wiki Wisdom Forum uh, Mm. for frontline nurses. And um, we created a space to hear their uh, thoughts and to gather their wisdom about how to uh, never again be in the situation that we've been in during this pandemic. Exactly. And we created a report, and there were basically there were fourteen recommendations, but there basically three things. And the first one was protect us. Give us the resources that we need to be able to safely provide care. Yes. The second one was listen to us. Yes. And this is not um, listening for the purpose of defending decisions, but actually harnessing the wisdom that nurses mm-hmm. have. They know the answers. The third one was empower us. Give us the resources, give us the authority to do what we do best. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out, nurses are incredibly uh, innovative systems thinkers who can find solutions if they are given the space and the authority to do so. Exactly. And that is what makes them feel that their work has value and that they are adding uh, tremendous value to the work. Like you said, who wants to be checking boxes? You want to be looking at an overall situation and based on your knowledge and your experience and your um, you know, years of working, you want to be able to say, this is what needs to happen here right now and have somebody listen to it. 
We're actually yeah. at a point where we need to take a break, and so I'm just going to go ahead and do that here. Um, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We're talking about healing the moral wounds of the pandemic, and my guest is Dr. Cinda Hilton Rushton, and she is the Anne and George L. Bunting Professor of Clinical Ethics at the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics and the School of Nursing. We'll be right back. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. Women to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today... Please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and it is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And our topic today is healing the moral wounds of the pandemic. And I'm very honored to be able to have Dr. Cinda Hilton Rushton here. Um, she has had tremendous experience and background in dealing with bioethics and clinical ethics, and now looking at uh, moral injury, moral suffering, and uh, moral resilience. Resilience, And so that's what we're going to talk about now is to go right into that. Talk about what is moral resilience and what does it look like? Thank you so much, Leanne. Um, you know, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time, you know, sort of trying to understand the suffering uh, part of the equation. And about five or six years ago, I was... Um, 
I thought I was writing a book proposal on moral distress, and, and I realized I just couldn't finish it. And so mm-hmm. I kept asking myself, what else is possible? What else is possible? Are we just going to be stuck in this distress forever? Mm-hmm. And so as a part of that, um, I began to uh, try to understand this concept of moral resilience, and it has led me into uh, lots of different um, sort of uh, dimensions. Uh, we ended up writing our book. Uh, it took three years. <laughs> I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be very quick, but it wasn't. But um, the way we're thinking about moral resilience is um, it's the capacity of an individual to preserve or restore their integrity in response to some kind of moral adversity. Mm -hmm. And what's important about this concept is this is not an evaluation of whether you're moral or whether you're resilient. We Mm -hmm. begin with the assumption that both of those are true. And Mm -hmm. that resilience is really an innate uh, capacity that can be um, strengthened. It can be um, used in situations where uh, there are ethical challenges. What's also important about this concept, and, and it's very interesting right now, there's sort of two camps. One is just very adamantly, we shouldn't even be talking about resilience. And then there's uh, another camp, which is about, well, what's the alternative <laughs> to, um, to not, you know, if we're not going to focus on resilience. Um, we are all resilient, but this mm-hmm. process is really the, the whole idea of, of, um, of moral resilience is illustrated for me in a practice that's done in Japan called Kintsuji our golden repair. And in this practice in Japan, when a piece of pottery is broken, instead of throwing away all of the pieces of the pottery, those pieces of pottery are put back together very mindfully and skillfully using cement and golden paint, not to cover over the broken parts, but rather to honor them and to... Mm see them as part of a new vessel that can be created out of the broken pieces. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like to think about moral resilience. It is about turning toward our challenges, but also recognizing that we have within us the capacity to meet those challenges in ways that do not degrade our integrity, that don't degrade our health and well-being. And so we did some research, being good researchers, we did some research uh, looking at definitions of moral resilience uh, among clinicians, and we came up with six elements that um, we've been working with now for uh, a number of years. Those elements are, first of all, personal and relational integrity, buoyancy, which is not about bouncing back, but being able to meet the challenges in a way that doesn't degrade our well-being um, or integrity. Uh, Self-regulation and self-awareness, which what we know is that when our nervous system is uh, dysregulated, we can't see things clearly. 
We can't act from a place of groundedness or connection to our values. And so we have to have skills that help our nervous system come back online so we can figure out what is the right path in in a situation where our values are compromised. We also need moral efficacy or seeing ourselves as capable of responding to these ethical challenges, thinking through and discerning what would be the path of integrity. And then the last piece is a very important one of self-stewardship. And we were very particular about calling this self-stewardship as opposed to self-care because there's kind of an allergy toward mm-hmm. that in our, in our profession. <laughs> yeah. There's also, you know, there's this attitude uh, that, you know, self-sacrifice, delayed mm-hmm. gratification, this mm-hmm. demanding work ethic, but that denies our basic human needs. And sometimes, you know, we sort of put it on as a badge of honor. I don't need yes, anything. we do. We do, right? And we think that this is part of what's necessary to to be included in our community. But self-stewardship is um, really arises from our fundamental moral obligation to honor and safeguard our health, first of all, because we are human beings, and second of all, because it is how we are able to serve others. And that's Mm -hmm. in our ANA code of ethics, the fifth provision is very clear. Nurses have the same duties to self as to others. Mm -hmm. And so that means we've got to know ourselves well enough to know what it is that feeds all parts of ourselves, to know when we are not uh, in balance in those areas, to be mindful about the limits of our personal resources, and to respond to them in ways that's not judgmental or say, oh, you know, keep pushing on, but mm-hmm. actually honoring them. Yeah. So those elements we've been working on, we've developed a program called the Mindful Ethical Practice and Resilience Academy. Um, we've been implementing this now for about four years and uh, just published uh, the pre and post uh, impact data that showed that um, by bringing nurses together in this discovery, learning, experiential environment and giving them the skills and tools, there were significant improvements in their ethical confidence and competence, Mm -hmm. their mindfulness, resilience, and work engagement, and also a decrease in depression, anger, and intent to leave. So there's something happening. How many people that are CNOs and CEOs, some of the C-suite people, and maybe not the CNOs because they maybe get that, but the C-suite people, how many people of that level are coming and understanding this? Because the whole thing with nurses not being able to do this for themselves is that they don't have the support of their administration to say, yes, do take care of yourself, I think. Well, I think... I think that you're you're really raising an important point of this. So there's I think that there's two sides of the equation. First of all, nurses um I think need some additional skills in supporting and resourcing themselves. 
regardless of what their organization's doing. And organizations have an ethical responsibility to extend respect, resources, and, and attention to the people in their workforce. And honestly, I think COVID has, has sort of revealed the gaps in our systems. The National Academies of um, Medicine, Science, and Engineering, I had a uh, privilege of being part of the group uh, focusing on a report on burnout. And a systems approach to that is, is absolutely necessary. While that system change is happening, we need to also intensify the resources of the people in the system so mm-hmm. that they can be part of creating those solutions. You're not going to be innovative and creative when you're totally exhausted. And mm-hmm. so we need to work at both levels simultaneously. And um, that's, that's the challenge right now. How will organizations take stock and listen to what nurses say they need in their organization uh, in terms of structures, policies, um, systems that allow them to heal from this pandemic, but also to be able to practice in a way that is in alignment with their professional values of what it means to be a nurse, a nurse that we can be proud of our service, where we are able to bring our gifts and talents um, to whatever situation is in front of us. Yeah. So what advice would you give to the people who are in the situation now? What I keep hearing from nurses is they feel very cut off from whatever, you know, if, if there are services and, and things available to them or if there are people at, you know, your level who are coming up with fantastic um, programs and and ways for them to um, uh, re, redevelop their, their own moral res- resiliency, um, they don't know about them. They, they feel like they, that everyone has just forgotten them. So what, yeah. what advice do you have to those people who are truly struggling day by day just to get up and go into work and then stay there for 12 to 16 hours, um, yeah. putting their heart out there? Yeah. First of all, I want to say thank you. Um, your, your contributions uh, are not unseen. The second thing I would say is that um, it is possible to find the path of integrity even in these extremely challenging situations. And so what I find myself saying over and over again is, first of all, we have to name what it is that's causing the distress. When we're in fear, we become paralyzed, and it's hard for us to feel any possibility of how we can move beyond that experience. So what's causing this moral suffering, this moral distress? Notice where it shows up in our bodies 
and mm-hmm. how you can begin to um, name why this matters so much to me. And that may mean that you've got to find a, a little space to give yourself the opportunity to reflect. The second thing is realistically appraise the situation that you're in. Um, We will have to make hard choices. And one of the ways that I think we can reduce the sense of helplessness is to focus on what is right in front of you. There are huge issues that need to be dealt with in our system, in our government, in our society. But focusing your attention on what is right in front of you helps to conserve our energy. You know, we can be upset all we want to, but Mm -hmm. in many instances, we're just exhausting ourselves. So conserving our energy to the one in front of us, set realistic expectations of ourselves, Um, doing the best you can with what you have requires an acknowledgement of the limit and of your effort and your intention to do the right thing, even when you can't actually bring it about. And, you know, a resource that has served me over and over again is when I find myself in a situation like that, to take a breath, to drop down into why am I here, what is it that I am meant to do in my work? And how can I serve right now in this moment? And the path of integrity may be as simple as, how can I demonstrate the values that matter most to me in this moment? How can I restore dignity to this moment? And to see that each of those actions of integrity matter. Integrity is not perfection. Mm-hmm. It is turning toward the broken parts of mm-hmm. ourselves with compassion rather than judgment. Mm-hmm. And to know that that's, that is part of our humanness as well. And so I, I, I think it's asking over and over again, um, Remember why you're here. Remember you're not alone. Even though it feels like you are, um, it is important for us to know that we are here as a shared moral community within nursing and that there's strength there that you can, you can draw on and that, you know, we need each and every one of us to find ways to resource ourselves, um, whether it's physically, whether it is spiritually, whether it is um, morally and ethically, finding the resources within ourselves, within our community to help us navigate in a way where there's not so much cost to each of us. It's, um, It's so important right now to know your limits and to really honor them and to be able to say, I cannot extend myself beyond these limits at this time. You know, having had a lot of illnesses and injuries and various different problems throughout my career, 
um, and many of them caused by work I was doing um, as a nurse, um, I realized how difficult it is for nurses to ask for help, and even more difficult is to take that help. We're actually at this point of the show where um, I, I want you to think about what is the most important information you want nurses to know around the country and around the world. What is your, your message to them? I think what I want to say to my nursing colleagues is that you are enough and um, this is a time when it is so important to turn toward ourselves with the kind of kindness and compassion that we give others so that um, we can begin individually and collectively to heal these wounds. We have um, resources. You have resources within you and around you. It is not as if there's nothing to draw on. Mm-hmm. So as you meet these challenges, I, I really want to, to say fundamentally, we are all whole, and that's where we want to be, and uh, the resources are there, um, but as Leanne said, it is not a, a failure to ask for help. We need to be able to see asking for help is an act of integrity, mm-hmm. and knowing our limits is also an act of integrity. So I'd love to share, um, we are doing uh, a retreat coming up of restoring wholeness in the midst of um, chaos uh, that is going to be made available. We'd love, it's going to be a virtual event. Um, we also, um, I have been working now for 20 years uh, with Roshi Joan Halifax and Dr. Tony Bach in delivering Programs uh, in association with the Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, you may find some of those resources helpful to you as well. And we also have some resources on our Berman Institute website that may be beneficial to you as resources that you can draw on as you meet these challenges. And Cinda, um, can you give that website? Can you give that website now? Uh, Do you know it by heart? Yeah. <laughs> www.upaya.org. Okay, so an easy one. Upay.org. No, upaya. Okay, great. .org. I have to close, and I wish I didn't have to. I would like to go on for hours with you. But I do want to thank you so much, Dr. Rushton, for coming and joining us and sharing this lifetime, really, of work that you've been doing. And I hope that nurses can hear that there are things available to them to help them. So um, as some of you have learned, 
This is my last live Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse show, and I'm far from done doing the work that I started with the major help of my producer, Tacey Trump, on July 31st, 2017. We had 64 listeners in four countries, and since then, that number has soared to 120,000 in 70-plus countries. Each and every listener has allowed me a lectern I did not even know I wanted. Uh, I want to especially thank Lois Sonstegard, my RN refresher student who came to me at the end of the class in 2016 and whispered to me, you have got to get your messages out to a larger forum than this classroom. The next day, I received a cold call from Voice America wondering if I would like to do a weekly international talk show for nurses. And the rest, as they say, is history. There are many people to thank. Jeffrey Spinard, <clears throat> Jeff Gerstel, Ryan Treasure, who have been amazing each in their own jobs, and especially professional, are the two major engineers I've worked with all this time, Josh and Aaron, who walked me through the minefields of live media each and every Monday. If you are considering a live talk show, con- contact Tacey Trump at voiceamerica.com. Uh, you listeners will still find me on Once a Nurse podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I am taking the dream I developed here of being able to help nurses around the world to stand up in their own glory and mastery of human kindness, nursing theory, and practice. I want each of you to come out of the shadows and tell your story. I want to help nurses to transform healthcare in the USA and perhaps in every other country. And I'm not kidding. We just put out a new website. Um, it's HTTPS colon back forward slash forward slash nurses transforming healthcare dot org. Write to me at Leanne at onceanurse.com and visit uh, me on my website www.onceanurse.com. I will soon be launching a partnered website with Melissa Cortez and Dr. Natalie Trevino at www.loveandlightfornurses.com, a safe place for nurses to land. My final words uh, are from uh, a poet, Daisaku Ikeda, Japanese poet laureate of Japan and a world peace leader for 74 years. He said, let us all set our sights on leading great lives dedicated always to truth and move toward that goal in good health, brimming with hope. Let us live our lives boldly without regret, advancing with patience, enthusiasm, and a genuine spirit of friendship and camaraderie. Nurses, there has never been a more opportune time for us to stand up and take our place leading healthy health care, as opposed to dying in a dysfunctional system set up to make maximum profits on the old, chronically ill, and desperate clients and patients. We know how to keep people healthy, and it is time for us to lead healthcare in that direction. Thank you all for listening, and I will... Hopefully be talking to you soon in another forum. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.